Welcome to Sundays with Stories. This is a weekly podcast brought to you by the Life Process Program, or LPP, our online addiction coaching program. I'm Zach Rhodes, here with Dr. Stanton Peel, the creator of the Life Process Program. In each episode, we highlight and react to this past week's addiction-related news. And um, as you'll notice, we don't always align with the way that these news stories are portrayed. You'll hear more on that soon. To learn more about the Life Process Program, visit lifeprocessprogram.com. And of course, subscribe to this YouTube channel or download this podcast on your preferred podcast app. Dr. Stanton Peel, what's on your mind today? Well, this particular week has been dominated. Well, this whole new emergency has come up around tornadoes, but Mm. um, it was dominated by a school shooting. Right. In In a, in a, place not far from where I went to school, uh, Oakland County, Michigan, and four people, uh, a young shooter killed four people and injured seven others. And so, you know, whenever that happens, there's a mass reaction in the United States. It's understandable. It really shocks people where they live. You know, they say, what, my child can go to school and end up dead. So, you come from a school environment. How long have you been working in a school environment? 16, maybe 17 years. So we're people who like to think we're thoughtful and informed about mental health and related issues. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we come here with a little bit of background. You've spent 16 years in a school setting, the majority of your working life. And so I just, you know, I, I will begin this session perhaps by just talking, trying to get a little bit of a fix on how our point of view and you in particular um, approach this and see if we can set, set some beneficial light on it. I, I, I knew I, we, we, you and I have talked about how you have to be careful. Obviously, we're never going to mention any names of any school districts or schools or individuals. But even beyond that, you have a history of working. And so, you know, we're going to be careful not to tread on anybody's toes and say, you know, comment on any actual places, dealings with children and shooting related issues. Have you ever, my first, have you ever had any connection to a school shooting? Not a school shooting that was followed through. No. You live in Burlington, South Burlington, Vermont. Has there ever been, you've been around 16 years, has there been a school shooting in Burlington, South Burlington, Vermont in 16 years? Not in Burlington or South Burlington. In in a nearby school district, there was. So what's the population of Burlington? You happen to know? I'm going to get technical on you. It's small, I think, and it depends when students are living in, uh, or not, but it's something like sixty to eighty thousand people. So, and then okay, but between Burlington and South Burlington, maybe we have a hundred thousand, maybe. But so that's small, for Vermont. That's that's the big city. So, but you're small town America. I yeah. have, I'm talking to people from Brooklyn. I live in New York City. I I think the current population is eight and three quarter million people. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I don't want to say anything dismissive now, 
But it's a, a part of what we do is to put life and danger in perspective. I'm not aware of a school shooting in New York City, which is defined by somebody coming into a school and offloading randomly on people. I'm not aware of that having happened among eight. And the school system itself has like a million and a half kids. Right. So, you know, um, whenever there's a school shooting, uh, one, one of the people I admire most is uh, our commentators on MSNBC. And uh, one of my favorite commentators said, you know, I can't go to the supermarket now without being anxious. Uh, it's Rachel Maddow. She, I happen to know, I think, she lives in the West Village and she has a house in Amherst, which is a farm, <clears throat> some well-off area in Western Massachusetts. Um, I don't know how often she goes to the supermarket herself. You're not going to get shot in a supermarket in New York yeah. City. Yeah. You can cross that off your anxiety list. So... As with drug deaths, I mean, there are way too many and we hate them and we want to eliminate them. But first we have to put them. You shouldn't be walking around in fear. Now, I live uh, one of the worst is the Newtown school shooting. You can drive there from New York City. But. Um, you know, it's not so. Do you have a theory about why there are no shooting school shootings in Burlington while you've been around? And I live in Brooklyn. You don't live here. But do you have any theories of why there are no school shooting, mass school shootings? There are shootings like gang related where they shoot a guy outside the school, right. which is not good. And more murders happen in America around that than open market shootings. Do you have a theory about why there happen to be no school shootings where you live or where I live? you're trying to put in proper perspective that these events happen. You know, we live in a pretty big country. And so these events happen and they're sensationalized to a degree, not that they shouldn't be. It's sort of a remarkable and eerie thing to happen, but it's at the top of mind for everybody. And so we're all thinking that we're in danger, but it's, it's very unlikely that this event occurs depending on where you live. Um, and yeah, well, there there are resources and things to do here in in Burlington and South Burlington, and I imagine there are in Brooklyn as well. There are connections to be made and and ways to. Um, well, where are you going? You want people to feel? I mean, who? I mean, we could get down to who go? Who is a human being who shoots people? What? Yeah. Right. What, well, how would you? I mean, in your view of it, who? What kind of person is that? Who is it? I don't know if it's responsible to reverse engineer this, but I have done this a lot. And uh, some of the let's cohort that I've worked with in the past of youth are people who I see are in danger of just falling into some sort of like nihilistic state, whether that means totally avoiding the world or whether that means contemplating doing something to themselves. And then often I wonder, is it's, is this person at risk of harming somebody else? And um, without, pathologizing anybody I can sort of and, and without uh, stewing on it or being irrational I could sometimes imagine some of the students that I have because of their lack of connectedness to the world I could imagine why they might do something drastic if they didn't catch a glimpse of what the world could be and how joyful it could be or that they I have that's the essence of our approach right. I mean in some we we tend to view addiction 
and susceptibility to violence to yourself and to others, which is suicide, and murder in the same category, which you just did beautifully. The Newtown Killer spent all of his time playing um, war video games. Mm -hmm. He never left the house, and then he left the house with a... And by the way, gun control legislation, I don't think would have affected either this, the Newtown murder, or the one we're currently contemplating. That kid's parents bought him a gun pre-Christmas, and it's an automatic pistol. Um, I hope you don't mind my asking you a personal question. Have you ever fired a gun? I actually haven't. So you and I are... You know, like we're, I get, I don't know, we're like people who never had a drink or something. You know, we're like right, right. virgins. Right. I haven't either. Um, so, Most people I know have. Yeah. Uh, so, anyhow, his mother bought a bunch of automatic weapons legally. Right. He took one. I don't believe in any legislation, and his mother had no criminal record. Um, uh, this kid's parents bought the gun, I believe, legally. And, of course, I think he's, was, is he 15? I mean, the question you would ask is, what were his parents doing buying a kid an automatic pistol? That's one question. And then the second question is, and we don't know all about this, but he was an, like the kid back to Newtown never left his house. So he's the extremist. You fear there are kids who are not connected. He was living like a vampire, staying yeah. up all night. And this kid, you begin to suspect this kid in Holland, Michigan, had some sort of similar profile. And naturally, you start wondering. His parents didn't notice that. Hmm. And this has all come up because the prosecutor, God bless her, has charged the parents with some kind of crime, some kind of accessory crime. Because the morning that he killed people, he had taken the gun from their room. He had it with him. And he had, they found him doodling drawings with people bleeding and the writing, I can't control myself. They called his parents in. And they refused to take him home, A, and B, they did neglected to mention that he had access to a gun. So they've been charged with a crime. So when we talk about, well, you can't blame the parents for everything. Okay, that's fair. But they've been charged. They've been indicted for some kind of a homicide or manslaughter. Mm. Does that... So you're in the business of connecting people who are unconnected. Um, that's, you know, we can have some larger answers. Eight and a half million people in New York City, not one. So we're going in a non-gun control direction. We're going in a personal count, which isn't totally our shtick. Um, some of the places where there are the most murders, Baltimore, Detroit, have strict Chicago have strict gun regulations. Right. And so you can say, well, do those work that well? New York City has an uptick in murders now. <clears throat> and they're in neighborhoods 
that tend to be deprived in other directions. So, you know, we can't brag that New York is great with violence, but there aren't, they don't shoot people in schools. Yeah. So I will mention just one little side, uh, two places where famous, where in Michigan, Holland, Michigan, there were at one point they had a bunch of guys with long guns and automatic weapons surrounding the legislature in Lansing, Michigan. I went to graduate school in Michigan. I actually didn't know, and maybe when I was there, it wasn't true that Michigan was an open carry state. Mm. I didn't know that. And Charlottesville is another famous place. Uh, nobody got shot, but a guy ran somebody over, and they were having people marching around Charlottesville, which is the University of Virginia, with long automatic weapons. And I happened to have been to Charlottesville within the last year, and I've been there in the past. And I guess I, I didn't know that you could do that in. Virginia or Michigan, where I've been. Uh, you can't do that in New York City. Th that, there's no thing where you walk around with an automatic weapon in New York City. And, you know, I, I believe the police force is pretty pro-Trump, if, if I had a bet, and I think there's some indication of that. Even though Trump is a, like, big Second Amendment guy, I, I believe the police are okay with that rule the part where people aren't around what around about to walk around with that so we're coming down maybe in some kind of combination thing um so you could imagine working with somebody like the 15 year old in holland michigan mm. i mean just off the top of your head what kind of thoughts do you have this kid who wasn't connected. What kind of thoughts do you have about a kid like that? There's no, um, there's no good system or roadmap right now that's obvious for somebody in that sort of a situation or mindset. I think, I think, just about anyone who works in a school with kids at a certain age knows someone who's totally disconnected, and. Um, and, and none of, hardly any of them are going to shoot people. Hardly any of them are going to shoot people, which is, it's almost like, this is a horrible, uh, quick, stupid thing to say, but it's like the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of a thing. Um, you almost say, well, this kid's unreachable. Let's just get them through to the finish line. Then my hands are clean of the responsibility of trying to reach the kid. And um, when things like this come out, that's when people start saying, well, was anybody listening to him? Um, which is what I'm thinking, you know, like he did literally and then also tacitly ask, you know, beg for some help with stuff that he had going on. And um, and the answer at the end was, you said you mentioned he wrote a note that said it was bleeding and something like um, the thoughts won't stop, help me. And the mandate was, well, you need to seek mental health counseling within 48 hours. Like, that's the magic. Well, we don't know how to do anything here. We couldn't have done anything previously. How could we have known you had these thoughts? Now that we know, and it's on paper, um, to save our ass, how about you get mental health counseling in 48 hours? That seems like the right. You know, they're just following protocol. And there's something about sliding from reality into your own kind of abyss, I think, that, that, that just doesn't have a proper blueprint system-wide for it. So now we're talking about human beings and actually relating to human beings. So what we're saying in general is there's a large 
number of these kinds of kids around. You run into them because that's sort of your job. Mm-hmm. Very few of them are going to get a gun and kill a lot of people. <clears throat> and so your your job, the, the thing, and when they do that, then everybody says, "Oh my God, why can't didn't anybody help him?" I think one thing we're reverse engineering and saying, well, your job and your way of thinking about people and what the school system should be able to do is to identify these children and help them. That should be a thing. And, you know. Is it radical that, you know, I had a room full of people at one point in my career, let's just say, who each, each and every one of them, I thought, you know, you're not connected with anybody. And I remember going through all of these, just sort of putting it all on the table, naming the elephant in the room, but not trying to direct it toward anybody. And I remember teaching these concepts. And one of them was we were looking at Columbine and what happened, what was going on with those kids. So by proxy, I think people were able to um, put in their own cards on the, on the table and start talking about well, what was going on with these kids. And, and you were working with kids who themselves fit in that kind of category at that right, point? Right. So you might think of you that, like I guess. You were surfacing it to mindfulness level yes. with the victim perpetrators. Right. And then playing it out in real time, you know, what, given what the, I mean, we, we even went, I decided to be emergent about it. So if it was interesting, let's go with it. If it's not, don't, don't, you know, keep beating this dead horse. But we, we read passages from these kids' journals uh, with permission. It, you know, certain things, certain ways of thinking. And then we were able to untangle the knots and cognitive distortions in their thinking. I mean, the, the students were able to. This is like totally, no one wanted, would have ever said you should do this. And especially because- well, Let me this- stop right here. One of the things, among many things, one of the things I admire about you is that you have a job and you hardly ever get fired. Um, (laughs) Could somebody have come and said, oh, Zach Rhodes is talking about shooting people in the classroom? Could that have happened? But you know what? You know how I was so confident. God, I'll say it. I was so confident that no one cared what was going on there in that space with this kid <laughs> that no one was going they to have irrelevant that they're not worried about you we're in like like the, the the class itself it was like in the corner of the world somewhere where people don't travel you know well i want to point out i mean you also had to have the guts and the confidence i mean you could I, you never woke up in the middle of the night saying well maybe one of those kids will actually shoot somebody and then they'll no. trace it back to me no in fact i I could tell when I was connecting with them. I could tell when they oh. were excited about something and um, thought about something slightly differently. And one person, and I won't even say whether this is a person in school or whether I work with their family, just let's just say one person when, when they're adults now and they sent me a really long, nice email and, and told me that you know, they were really contemplating ending their lives at a point and um, you know, thanking me for just opening discussion with them. And um, because of that turned them around and started getting them thinking and that they meant something, that they should do something, that they could be their best selves. 
and I just, in a way, I that's what I was trying to do. And in another way, his memory of what happened while we were conversing is a little different than mine because his was revelatory, like, oh, yeah, this, you know, things matter and I matter. But I remember having very infrequent interactions with the person and nothing that I said was meant to be profound at all. So I know in a way that it takes very little, actually, energy-wise, to connect with somebody. So that well, they it's almost like therapy with addiction. He had to provide the energy. You gave him an opening. Right. And there's a, you know, there's a direct parallel for anybody who sees this who has some connection to addiction counseling. If you're talking with somebody in arm reduction mode and they're taking cocaine or meth or heroin and you're trying to, you know, get them to think positively about themselves and safeguard, they could die and somebody could say, oh, you're the therapist. <clears throat> right. And that was always a controlled drinking controversy, you know. So right. you have somebody and you're saying, well, how do you want to moderate your drinking? And then they go out and do X or Y or Z. I see where you're going, yeah. So on the one hand, I mean, in a larger scale, of course, then you'll never have anybody working with these kids. So right. you can't say, oh, well, you're guilty. Uh, you know, on the other hand, you know, well, it takes some guts. And I mean, you seem to have a quiet confidence. You seem to feel okay about your ability in this area for whatever, you know, you've been doing it for a while. And I don't know, you sort of had a natural gift for it. I Man, I don't know, as I've mentioned, you're, you have a job and you've had jobs pretty much straight along for a while now. I don't know. After this, maybe they're going to make you, you know, uh, head of the cabinet in charge of avoiding childhood, you know, school shootings. So, you know, watch out because you, you're looking good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have some ideas. You proceed. Uh, no failures yet. I'll, you know, for God's sake, that's not going to happen. Um, so in that particular situation, let's put you on the spot. Mm -hmm. There's some school counselors. One of them sees him writing these things. They call on the parents. The parents wash their hands of it. In that immediate situation, what would you have done? And then they said, okay, go back to school with your backpack, where apparently he had an automatic gun. I want to know all about, I, I mean, I don't know if this is right or not, but I would want to know all about what's going on. And I would provide a space and a level of comfort for him to share it. And so you almost begin the process right then. We, I think we discussed this. You yeah. have, you have a, a, a certification in behavioral intervention. Uh, you consider yourself a developmental specialist. So you, you would encounter kids in, you know, an extremis. And so your reaction is immediately, instead of 48 hours, you would try and use that as a therapeutic situation right then and there. Right. I mean, if, if there's a worry right then and there, then, you know, there's an available person right then and there. I, I don't see any sense in wasting time. And um, I don't know how you could possibly get somebody, help somebody along solving a problem if you can't understand what the problem is. So that's just always my go-to. I want to really understand. Um, we, we mentioned this. You call it all sorts of different kinds of empathy, radical empathy. or uh, that, That's how I feel about it. I feel like there's some reason why somebody's feeling. Well, I, I want to put another. I want to say, you know, you're well-employed. 
you're paid a salary. You're rough. You know, it's be over my head, whether you're a counselor or something else. So they bring in somebody in trouble and they have a counseling staff and the counseling staff says, oh, get him help in 48 hours. And your concept is, well, they're sort of paying me money that when something like this happens, I have to be helpful. I may not end up being his counselor or therapist, but I'm going to begin the process right now. Right. You're going to go. He's going to go home tonight. You know, this is my situation. You're going to leave this room that we're speaking, you're going to probably get in the car and go home. You're going, who knows? He went out and killed a lot of people, this kid. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, I'm saying that's that's my thinking is that there's a lot of time in 48 hours to perseverate on whatever is going on. So I, I always do like to think, how do you put one foot in front of the other so that you feel okay right now? Or if you don't feel okay right now, so that you feel like you've just at least been understood right now. So I'm just trying to get into your workings, your mind, which I I think it's similar to mine. You're you're saying, what am I doing here? I'm trying to help this kid. And that isn't a referral in your mind. That's like the beginning of a process. Mm -hmm. And the first step I know in your process is to try and say what's going on. I know I've heard you say you'll be on a group and they'll bring in a worksheet on a kid, you know, and they'll have, you know, analysis and brain scans. And your first question is sort of always like, well, what's the kid saying and thinking? You know what I mean? Right. And and the way you do that is you talk to them. So if you were in that room, you might have, I mean, let's go crazy. You might have said, well, why are you drawing pictures of bloody people? When, when you say, oh, I can't help myself, what do you mean? You might start with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Huh. Well, all right. You know, we've done our, our, I hope we made a contribution to society Um, as with everything practically that we say. It's so stupid. It it seems that like what we're saying is so obvious. It's such common sense that people could tune off and say, is that all they have to say? Ask the kid why he did this. Right. But it's, you know, it does go over people's heads, people who I work with. You said there's a, there's a um, real advantage, by the way, to making a quick interaction or, you know, getting there first or letting the person totally explore their mind with me. And it's that I'm able to, just anyone could really do this, but I'm able to ask the kinds of questions that I could, I could imagine follow-up questions from a counselor or follow-up um, restrictions or punitive practices by the school or teachers and when I'm in a meeting with those people, I'm like an adjunct to those things. I'm not really that those things. But when I'm in a meeting with them, I can say, I don't think that's going to help. Or I don't think that's how he sees the problem. And the question's always, well, how do you know? And the answer is always, because he told me. You know, I actually asked him and he told me. And that's really hard to argue with. You have to actually flat out to my face tell me that it doesn't matter that he told me that for some reason. So... I mean, I'm laughing in a professional setting and we're not putting anybody down. You're a miracle worker because, oh, how do I know that I asked them? It's right. (laughs) Well, we're going to move in on. This is the first half of our session. And I hope people get I mean, this is sort of LPP is about addiction. It's about connection, really. 
Um, we don't work with children in LPP. That's a complicated thing. We don't work with people who are adults and who can't pay with their own credit card. Right. So, uh, however, you are a professional in that arena at the same time. Um, and so we're just talking about the nitty gritty of working with people in a self-helping way that they don't hurt themselves using the most logical things called motivational interviewing, asking them questions to get them to focus. And one kid wrote you an email saying, you know, you didn't think that much happened. He got reflecting on his whole life and it, it changed around his orientation towards killing himself. Um, and then in a larger context, we're saying, well, disconnected people are more likely to do bad things. Not many of them are going to shoot people in a mass shooting. However, it's that's a bad omen, a bad sign. And we're also, every, obviously, people are also worried about suicide with kids and, and mental health. That's a whole other big thing happening now. And you're saying, well, it's the same uh, protocol for dealing with all of these things. And that's what right. we do in the life process for me.